God, we sing that anthem because we need the reminder, you won't fail. You won't fail. Your love is poured out over each one this morning. And so we open up our hearts and our minds to you today, asking that you would lead us, asking that your Holy Spirit would bring home the message that you have for each one of us. In the name of our Jesus, amen. There are certain moments that just stand out. Uh, you can remember, perhaps, of certain experiences, exactly who was in the room or what something felt like, or you can go back and it's like your senses are just as if you were there. Do you have any of those experiences, that moment where you know all of that experience? And one of the early experiences of my ministry, I do remember with that vividness. And I was continuing my theological education, and it was undergrad, and I did clinical pastoral education at the hospital near my university's campus. So that meant that I was working full-time as a hospital chaplain, going through this cohort that was intensive learning in my process of being formed as a pastor, growing and learning. And this experience that, that stands out to me was from a night that I was on call, serving the whole hospital. Each of us were assigned call for the night. And I got this call, a referral, because the patient had requested a visit from a chaplain. And I came into that room, that patient room, and found out very quickly that I wasn't the chaplain that he was hoping for. That I was far too young and too female for him to imagine that I could be the one called chaplain. So I introduced myself and kept standing in the space as he yelled and yelled and told me how it wasn't right and how this couldn't be and how this was against what God had decided. And I kept staying there as if my feet were planted in the ground in that hospital room. And I kept listening. And then I said, um, you called, though. What made you call uh, and reach out for a chaplain tonight? And he started to tell me what brought him to the hospital and all of his fears and his anxiety and how he didn't know if he would make it out. And words poured out, and he started sharing more and more. And I got to the end of that visit with him, and I asked him if I could pray with him. And he said, gratefully, yes. He said, that's what I was hoping. And I got done praying, and he said, I'm glad you came. <laughs> I said, me too. And we ended. <laughs> I walked out of the room. I ended up writing up this experience, this encounter, these 45 minutes with this patient, I ended up writing it for processing with other colleagues because one thing that makes clinical pastoral education so powerful is you have experiences and then you process it together so that you can continue to grow. And we do that in life too. I'm sure you have those experiences and then you process it and then you grow from it. But I wrote this encounter up. And as I was recalling this with my colleagues, this is where I can remember the feeling of the chair underneath me and the faces around me as we're going through this experience. And I was surprised as I was recounting this story 
my 20-year-old self was there in that room recounting this story that was filled with complexity. Because this patient had had this moment of encountering God, and I got to experience that, and it was sacred. And I was so grateful for the sacredness of that encounter. And then at the same time, he had had so much anger that I found myself with big emotions, feelings about that encounter because I had heard him yell for so long and heard all of this, all of his theology and all of his feelings about what he thought of me and how I could dare to do what I was doing. And so I was holding the space for the complexity of this whole experience and all that that meant for me in that moment. And as I was surprised in that moment and, and, and processing this, my supervisor said, I'd like you to put out your arm. Okay. Fist up. Okay. And he came over and he put two fingers on my wrist like this on the vein. And we all paused. And it was much longer and a little bit more awkward than we just had. And he said, that's what I thought. I said, what? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. You're human like me. Welcome to humanity. <sighs> and I felt solidarity in that moment, and I also felt so frustrated. <laughs> because give me the hopeful experiences, give me the meaning, give me the joy of being human. I don't want all this other complexity stuff, like this holding more than one feeling at the same time and all of this space where we, uh, I'll leave that part of being human, but I just want this other part. Does anyone ever relate to that? Like, give me the joy and the happiness. Give me the meaning and the hope. But seriously, the frustration and the anger and the depression and the anxiety and the challenge of being human, that stuff, I could leave it. I'm over it. But in this moment, and the reason I will always remember that moment is because there was this solidarity of being human. And we forget that being human is the image of God. That you are the child of God, the image of God. We don't know all of what that means or all that that really looks like because we will find out that in a little bit. But what we do know is revealed by Jesus that Jesus was willing to take in all of this and experience all of this. This new series that we start today, Being Human, Imago Dei, is that to be human, to hold that space where you're holding the complexity of all of this is the image of God. That this is how God designed us to be. This is who we are made to be. And though I want the joyful and the hopeful and I don't want this other confusion or complexity, you can't have one without the other. You simply cannot have one experience without the other. To feel is to be human. And each one of us as image bearers of God bear the divine mark and this is our identity. Jesus was willing to embrace possibility and limitation. Jesus felt what we feel deeply. Can you think of Jesus? Compassionate, joyful, angry, sad, fearful. That's the last one we'll get into in June. But Jesus felt all of this. Our capacity to feel deeply was something shared by our God.
There are so many ways, though, that the church distances itself from emotion. Subtly or not so subtly, we communicate that emotions are something to be managed and controlled instead of heeded and heard. Sometimes we can feel inconvenienced by our emotions. We can consider our emotions even unchristian. I was just so angry and I asked God to forgive me. Oh, I often say, well, what was that anger an indication of? Because perhaps it's a sign of something that you value or care deeply about, and God wants you to be connected with that very much. What if instead of pushing our emotions away, God calls us to understand them and to allow it to inform us of who we are as followers of Jesus in this world? Many times in Bible studies or pastoral counseling sessions, I will say your emotional health and your spiritual health and your mental health are all connected. Sometimes that statement is met by surprise and a little bit of shock. God cares about my emotional and mental health. Some of us may know this, and that's not something new, but the process of integrating that and repeating that learning and integrating it into our lives is something that is a lifelong journey for each of us. What we feel externally and what we experience internally is called congruence. What we feel internally and what we experience externally, how we look on the outside and how we look on the inside. Christian counselor K.J. Ramsey says, Christians can sometimes grow up learning incongruence as a spiritual discipline. We have so many times that we, you were angry and you were crying, but here we are. Wipe it off. Happy Sabbath. Oh, we're so glad to see you too. Happy Sabbath. It's good to see you. We get used to a different experience between what is inside and what is outside, but then we're surprised when we say, I'm praying, but I don't feel anything. I don't feel connected to God. Are you and I connected with us, with you, with how you're experiencing life? that might be a good place to start for then being able to experience connection with God. Because we can't selectively numb. And so if you're numbing and pushing aside other parts, if there's a lack of congruence in our lives, another word might be integrity, that doesn't mean you show up in the same way with everyone everywhere, but if there's no safe place, then we lack the congruence with which to understand what our actual story, how we're actually living this life right now. The incarnation causes us to question everything we thought about how acceptable emotion is to God. Why? Because Jesus came human. Fully God, divine, cloaked in humanity. Fully aware of our experience as humans. Jesus came so he could understand and be one of us. And again, I quote Christian counselor Ramsey. She said, your emotions will continue to be a part of you even if you treat them as enemies. But what if you befriended them instead? What if what you are silencing is the substance of your greatest healing? What if that is the way to actually grow and connect spiritually healthy? We become more spiritually healthy as we become more emotionally healthy. As our mental health increases, we become more spiritually alive. I love this story that we're going into in the scriptures today because it shows how Jesus responds to our emotion. Luke chapter 7 is where we'll go today. Luke chapter 7, 
is a, an encounter that Jesus has with a person who is experiencing some deep emotion. And I would postulate that this is the way Jesus responds to any one of us. In verse 11, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the briar they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still and he said, young man. I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Though we don't know his age, you get the sense that if Jesus is giving him back to his mother, I wonder what age this child was. The dead man was given back. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. We don't know the age of this widow, but we do know that many, uh, the people, their lifespan was shorter, and many people died at an earlier age. And we don't know the age of this young man, but we do know that because this was her only son, and she had no husband any longer, that her property and her home would be returned to her husband's family at the passing of this boy. So suddenly she's in deep anguish. She doesn't have her child anymore, but she doesn't have a home. She no longer has the means to provide for herself. This is raw anguish. Can you picture this? Can you picture the mourners and the sounds of lament, the loud wailing that would have come, that as they were going outside of the city, that there's this deep cry. And likely he would have died yesterday because they had to bury people sooner in the desert in the heat. There was no way to preserve their bodies. So this was likely just yesterday for her. Can you imagine the pain in her heart as she's following after the briar with her son, her only son? And there Jesus encounters this procession, this place where she's going to weep. She's pouring out her heart raw and fresh. Jesus encounters her there. And these words, when the Lord saw her, verse 13. Jesus saw her. For some of us, this is the only message that you need to hear today is that Jesus sees you. I want to see those around me. I want to see you. Our pastoral team wants to see you. Leaders here want to see you. But we can't always. But Jesus always sees. Jesus always sees. And as he sees, he knows and he understands deeply what we're going through. And so this entire encounter starts with Jesus seeing her, that he pays attention. And it says, this word actually means that his heart overflowed with compassion. 
My version said his heart went out to her, but it's like his heart couldn't contain all the compassion that it felt. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's what Moses called this God that he encountered. And here we see Jesus, the incarnate God, with heart so filled with compassion that he can't even contain it all. He sees her. And his heart overflows in feeling for her. God is a God of compassion. The compassion for those who suffer is the core of who our God is. This Greek word for compassion, splegna, means internal organs. So this word literally means to be moved so deeply that you feel it in your intestines. So Jesus is walking along and he sees her anguish and he feels it so deeply. He's moved in his gut that he physically hurts as he feels pain for her. To feel deep inner emotion, sympathy, to feel on behalf of someone else. This word, compassion. It's only used in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, two other places. When the man, the good Samaritan, sees the man by the side of the road and he has compassion on him, he's moved deeply and he goes to help. And then the man who sees his prodigal boy, his son, coming back and he has compassion on him. Those are the two places. So compassion is always associated with loving action. Otherwise, Jesus' words might feel cold, him saying, don't cry. But since compassion is always associated with loving action, Jesus comes along and he says, don't cry, because he's about to change the story for her. He's about to reverse her situation. And so he comes along feeling with her, feeling for her. He reaches out to her to reverse her situation. This story tells us how God feels about suffering humanity. This story is one you can come back to when you're feeling intense emotion, when you're going through something. This is how God feels towards you. This is how God feels towards you. God has intentions of compassion and love and heart towards humanity. Jesus cries when he knows that you feel so desperate and so afraid. Jesus knows when your heart is pounding and you can't catch your breath because of an anxiety attack. Jesus knows when you can't get out of bed in the morning and you feel depressed. Jesus knows when you're lying in bed at the end of the night and you want to go to sleep, but you can't because you're worried about all the things and going through all the list of things in your head. Jesus cares. Jesus knows what we're going through. God knows and God sees. That's what the encounter with the widow of Nain tells us. That when all others pass by, when no one else seems to notice, Jesus still does. That's what makes the encounters in the gospel so powerful. Because those who, because of their disability or because of their suffering, have become invisible to other people, Jesus sees. They are known by Jesus and so even when what we are going through is invisible to other people or not known or people don't know the weight of it, Jesus sees and Jesus knows. And then what Jesus does next is he reaches out his hand. He touches the briar. The, he touches the place that they're carrying the dead man. They, he touches. He's not afraid of entering the mess. Now this was actually illegal, right? You remember, he can't do this. 
This is unlawful. He becomes unclean. This comes at great cost to himself. But Jesus is telling us, doesn't matter what you're going through. I'm willing to enter into your mess. I'm willing to reach out and touch you. There's nothing that is too scary for me. There is nothing that I am afraid of. Because you see, I'm Lord of all. Even the formidable foe of death, I'm Lord over death. Even that which you most cry over and suffer because you have lost someone that you care about, I am the resurrection. I speak and this boy comes back to life. So Jesus says, I will touch every area that you might want to push away and that others don't know. I reach out and I am not afraid of your mess. I'm not afraid of it. He touches the boy and he says these words, Young man, I say to you, get up. The God who is the resurrection and the life brings him back to life in that very moment. God's grace and love entering into the suffering of humanity. And the boy arises. The most intense of all human losses is no match for Jesus. What happens when we show up and we show compassion? What happens when we experience compassion? Jamal found that out in the way that he didn't want to or expect. In 2015, when their daughter was born and had a stroke during birth. Little Alma was rushed into the neonatal intensive care unit where nurses and doctors cared for her around the clock on shifts. And Jamal said he remembers being in that hospital room when the doctor came by at the early hours of the morning to share really hard news about all the steps that were coming and the treatment plan, and it was one in the morning. And instead of delivering the news as he expected, compassionately, kindly, the doctor pulled up a chair. And this is recounted in a story, Unsung Heroes, as he talked about that doctor sitting down and for 90 minutes, he talked to him. Turns out that the doctor was also a new father and talked about the love that you have for your child and how little control you have after they're in the world. And they sat and they shared this moment. And Jamal looked up this doctor as he was recounting this story and they went on a Zoom meeting together and he said to his doctor, Dr. Peterson, I just felt like I couldn't control anything. I was feeling this loss of autonomy and agency, and then, catch his words, I just remember you not leaving. The conversation reminded him that he was not alone. And he said after that encounter, he switched gears from thinking about their suffering to what do I need to do for Alma next? What do I need to do for her? Peterson, in sharing on this Zoom, also said that, that the doctor said he was blessed by that morning conversation as well. He was asking himself, can I really make a difference? And he said that that encounter with Jamal told him that making a difference during the most vulnerable mo moments in someone's life does matter. You stepped out from behind the white coat, Jamal said. You were there for us. You were there for me. And I don't think I could ever adequately thank you for that. You stepped out from behind the white coat and you didn't leave 
You were there for me. This expression of compassion blew me away. I, I read this story and it captured my heart because even in the unthinkable, what no parent wants to go through, the offering of presence, of compassionate feeling with someone changed the memory for him and he suddenly knew that he wasn't alone and that he could make it through. And then I also couldn't help but remember one who was God who became human for us. One who took off the white coat and was willing to sit with us in our suffering and our pain. A God who doesn't stay far off, who doesn't just deliver news to us kindly and leave, but who sits with us in it. And I'm wondering if you need to experience the compassion of God again today. I'm wondering if you need to experience the God who doesn't leave, but pulls up a chair and who joins you right where you are. I wonder, if you were to look at the dashboard of your life right now, what are you feeling? What does being human mean for you right now? Anxiety, exhaustion, joy, overwhelm, anger, frustration, hope, hopelessness, despair. What's on your dashboard, numb? If you were to name what you're feeling today to God, if you were to be honest to God, what would you name today? And usually it's more than one thing. I wonder if in that place, as we sing about our amazing God, if you can allow the compassionate God, the God who sees, the God who touches, the God who brings life to meet you in that place. I wonder if you can remember that even before the funeral procession started, God was already on the way to meet you there. Because even before she started walking, Jesus and the crowd were coming to meet her, knowing full well that she was there. So, as you sing, could you be honest today? What are you feeling? And can you allow the compassionate God to meet you right there?